Hello, listeners. Welcome back to The Dreaded Question. I'm your host, Lily Torre, and this week I'm thrilled to welcome Stephanie Roberts as our guest. Stephanie is a brilliant voiceover artist who launched her voiceover career after the 2008 financial crisis. Stephanie is an incredible resource when it comes to voiceovers, and she was so kind as to record with me to help TDQ's listeners learn more about the amazing world of voiceovers and how and why she decided to transition into that element of the industry. Her episode is a perfect follow-up to Carly Valancey's episode because we discuss what reaching out has looked like in the voiceover world and how reaching out helps Stephanie book her biggest voiceover job yet. So without further ado, here's Stephanie Roberts' answer to the dreaded question. So, Stephanie Roberts, what are you up to? Um, That question is absurd because (laughs) no one is up to anything. (laughs) That's what I love about it so much right now. Or we're all up to so much that we can't even process what we're up to. That's very real. I'm up to trying to figure out this new normal. Yeah. I don't really know what that looks like yet, but I'm actually many more weeks in than most of you because I actually live in New Rochelle, which was sort of the original epicenter of the non-New York City outbreak. Yeah. So it's been about a month already of us just being out of our normal routine. My daughter is two and a half and she normally goes to school, which obviously is not happening right now. Right. She's been out of school since four weeks ago already. Wow. Oh my gosh. So we're trying to figure out what to do with her all day, every day. And then now my husband, Josh, who works on a Broadway show is also unfortunately out of work for the moment. So he's been home for two weeks as well. So we're just trying to figure out what this looks like day to day. Yeah. That's really all we can do is take it day by day and face the circumstances of each new day and go from there. But it's... It's definitely a challenge. Yeah. Especially with a little one. I can't even imagine. I mean, this is a difficult time for all of us, but if you have a little one at home who is, you know, no matter how old they are, and I guess in some ways, especially if they're used to going to a daycare or a school program or something, I mean, truly props to you because that is not easy. And it's funny too, she's old enough to understand that for some reason, we're all home. And she keeps saying, yay, it's family day. Oh, how sweet. Which is so sweet and so blissfully unaware. And I am not telling her anything except that school is closed right now. And so is daddy's work. Yeah. But other than that, I'm not explaining any of this to her because she can't. There's no reason to. Yeah. But it has been really interesting to see her just kind of figure it out and see like what this means for her because her world just sort of changed overnight. Like she hasn't seen any of her little friends and it's been tricky. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's, that's so beautiful though. What you said about her just being like, yay, family day. I I mean, what a perfect lens to look through all of this through and to see like that it is, there, there are blessings involved in this and that there are some really beautiful things to take from this if we choose to, to notice what we have to be grateful for. Yeah. And I keep saying to friends, like silver linings, just trying to find the silver linings. Like I'm going to start a hashtag silver linings. I don't know. I love that. I love that. Silver linings playbook. Yeah. That's what I said the other day. (laughs) I was like, yes. (laughs) But I thought, I keep thinking of like the silver linings, like this is a truly horrible, literally worldwide situation. 
But on the micro day-to-day level, like I have more time with my husband than I've had in years because he yes, thankfully is amazingly employed, but also we barely get you know a minute to breathe. And now we have that. We've been given this gift of time. And it's, totally. it's been really fascinating to just see how that has shifted our relationship. You know, whereas even just a month ago, we were running in circles around each other and trying to get stuff done around the house and take her to my daughter to school and and you know, and the nights that we have together, we only have one night a week together. Yeah, normally. Yeah. So when that happens, it's like, well, we can't possibly spend this night just watching TV. We've got to do something. Right. There's so much like pressure. Yeah. But now that pressure has been completely relieved. Like we've watched TV for four nights in a row and it's fine and it's great and it's wonderful. And it's nice to just, just like breathe and reconnect and look at those simple things. Yeah. No, I think it's important to, to acknowledge whatever blessings are going on in your, our lives. And while we can all agree that overall, this is, you know, a difficult time for a lot of people and there's a lot of, you know, bad things going on right now, that there are also good things too. And it's okay to feel gratitude for those. Yeah. I think that's something that I've struggled with too, is like, I just want to post them somewhere. I just want to like go on Facebook or go on Instagram and post like my hashtag silver lining for the day is it's 55 degrees today and it's sunny. Yeah. I love that idea. Yeah. Well, if any listeners are wondering why your voice sounds so smooth and high quality and delightful, it's because Stephanie is also using a fancy microphone to record this podcast episode remotely with me today because she is a voiceover artist. That's right. I would love to hear about your journey into voiceover work and what that's been like for you and how it's become your main career at this point. Yeah. So, Voiceover was something I'd always been interested in, but never had the time or energy or resources financially to devote to it because I was a musical theater major. And when you're a musical theater major and you move to New York City, that's your focus. You have to spend your money on dance classes and voice lessons and acting classes. Yeah. So for a long time, I just didn't even think about it. And then in 2008, I got my equity card and I was super excited thinking like, this is it. I'm finally, I've made it. I'm getting my equity card. Next stop, Broadway. And then the economy tanked and I did not work at all in the theater in 2009, not once. And it was devastating and heartbreaking and also confusing. Like now what am I supposed to do? I've literally done musical theater every day of my life since I was eight years old. Yeah. So after much depression and, you know, feeling down about everything, I finally was like, okay, I've, I have to just do something else. What else can I do? I'm going to take a voiceover class. And I did at the end of 2009, I took my first class and all of a sudden it was like a little glimmer of hope, a little bright spot. Yeah. A silver lining. A silver lining. Exactly. <laughs> and it was so it was like eye-opening. All of a sudden, I was, I felt like I was performing again and I was getting positive feedback for the first time in years. Any feedback, you know. Yeah. And it was really freeing and it just sort of got my mind going. And then in 2000, at the end of 2009, my husband, who was then my boyfriend at the time, was given the incredible opportunity to move to San Francisco to work on the production of Wicked that was out there. 
And he was like, why don't you come with me? And I was like, okay, sure. You know, I've, I've, I have no work, so I might as well. Yeah, why not? Um, so we moved to San Francisco in 2010 and I took voiceover classes out there and I didn't bring anything with me that had anything to do with musical theater. No music book, no dance shoes, no monologues, no plays, nothing. And I thought this is a good test. If we're out here for, you know, a year, three years, whatever it ends up being, and I miss musical theater, then great, I'll know that. And if I don't, then I'll know that too. Right. So I took classes at an amazing, amazing studio out there called Voice One. The woman who runs it, her name's Elaine Clark, and she's fantastic and incredible. And she has a, a lot of amazing teachers. And I took classes in everything, commercial voiceover, animation, toy voices, just stuff, just so wow. much stuff, stuff I didn't even think about you know, in terms yeah. of like, I didn't even realize that was a an existence, you know, or a part of this career. And I loved it. And when I was there, I didn't miss musical theater at all. Yeah. So it was really telling. And then when we moved back to the city at the end of 2010, I realized like, oh, okay, I guess this is it. Like, I did it. I made the transition, you know, and then when I was back here, it was sort of like I was able to accept that musical theater is something that exists and I will always love it and I will always be a fan, you know, and I will go see shows and and all that. But it's just not something that I do anymore. And it was a really, again, like just like an eye opening experience to realize, like, you know, there are people in New York City who are accountants and stockbrokers. Yeah. Also musical theater people and all of those things kind of fit together in this weird way now, like that there there are other careers that exist in the city and it's okay that I'm not a part of them, just like it's okay that I'm not a part of musical theater anymore. That's so empowering to that you took that opportunity to say, okay, you know, because obviously, clearly, I think there are a lot of parallels in your experience back in 2008 with what's going on right now. Yeah. And it's, you know, really triggering a lot of people to question, first of all, do I still want to do this? Do I still love this? Is it still worth it for me? But even if they say, yes, I do still want to do this, a lot of people are coming to the realization that it is important to have a parallel career for this very reason and to find other ways that our unique skills can be utilized. And so for you, what that ended up looking like was you found a parallel career for yourself and then you found that you loved it so much and got so much validation from it and so much joy that you didn't need the acting career anymore and that you actually, or I should say the musical theater career anymore, and that doing the voice acting work was really enough for you and that it was providing for you in ways that musical theater couldn't, especially at that time. And so I think it's A, amazing that you went out on a limb and took a voiceover class in that time to begin with. B, amazing that you took the opportunity that San Francisco was to go out there, get away from the New York City musical theater industry, focus on that craft, and then see that you were able to come back to New York and really face it and be like, okay, this is the opportunity where I could enter this industry again. Is this really what I want? And that you had the clarity to see that, no, it's not what I want. And that I don't owe anything to my child self who decided that this was my dream. Right. I'm allowed to now, as an adult, pivot into something that brings me more joy. Totally. And it, you know, it's hard. It's really yeah. hard. Now, 
in hindsight, almost 10 years later, I'm like, oh, you know, I just went to San Francisco and came back. But that was right. a very emotional grief loss situation where I was very confused. I had no idea coming back who I would be because I had right. only ever been Stephanie. Oh, Stephanie, she does musical theater. Oh, yeah, she's the singer. Mm-hmm. And then to suddenly not have that identity was really challenging in that moment. But then it sort of all just started to fall into place and make sense. And then, you know, having the ability to do this on my own. I mean, like li- quite literally on my own. Like, yeah, when, you know, I don't play the piano. Mm-hmm. I don't, I can't put up a full scale musical on my own by myself. Right. So there was something really freeing about coming back and living in New York City on my own terms and not being beholden to, I have to get up for this audition or I have to like mm-hmm. rush down to my agent's office because they need more headshots. It was like a whole world opened up to suddenly be like this breath of fresh air and freedom that I didn't have before. And I, you know, again, like hindsight is twenty twenty. You don't realize that you need that until you allow yourself to change your perspective. And then it was like, oh, I really needed to work for myself. Yeah. You're so right. that That's not a feeling that we get that often as actors to have a sense of autonomy and control over the work that we're doing. And, you know, I think there's something really empowering about the fact that, you know, for anyone listening who doesn't know a lot about the voiceover world, what Stephanie's referring to isn't that, you know, she takes herself into some studio somewhere and records what they want. She has an at-home studio. She records this herself. She edits this herself. Like, this is a one-woman show going on here called yeah. Stephanie Roberts Voiceover. And, <laughs> you know, that is really empowering. And we don't get that opportunity a lot. So do you want to share a little bit about that learning curve, that process of you know, getting to a place where you're able to do all those things for yourself? Yeah. So I'm super lucky because my husband is a sound engineer and I tell everybody that. That definitely helps. Yes, it helps a lot. And I am the first to admit that I am not super tech savvy and that I would not be where I am today without his guidance and assistance and his knowledge of all things sound. Yeah. So thank you to Josh. (laughs) So when I was taking all these classes, again, almost 10 years ago, the home studio side of things was sort of just coming about. And almost all my classes had some element of, you know, and you should think about a home studio or mm-hmm. invest in some sort of microphone so you have it at home. Yeah. And I was kind of like, oh, okay, sure, okay. And then when we moved back to New York, um, I took another class here kind of right away when I got back and they started saying the same thing. And I was like, okay, I better pay attention to this. And I said to Josh, so they're talking about home studio. What do you think? And he was like, oh, with this microphone we already have and this recording software? I was like, yes. Yeah. So again, I was super lucky and he helped me build our first voiceover booth and he helped set everything up and taught me how to edit on the editing software that I use. So once I learned all of that and had it all set up, then I was able to kind of dive in on my own. And again, coming from the musical theater world where you're so beholden to everybody else and the schedule and your agent and everything, it was so comforting and freeing to be able to just figure it out on my own. And I liked that hustle. Yeah, I know some people don't. And some people like having an agent send them a thing and they record it and they send it back. But 
I enjoyed the sort of all-encompassing small business aspect where I could send out the invoice. I like sending out the invoices. I don't mind that part of the procedure. So I liked learning about all of those things that, you know, helped me become my solo entity recording studio, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I, I think nowadays too, it's just, it's becoming more and more and more important. And especially now in this time, yep, you have to have a home studio. Yeah. And it looks different than it did, uh, you know, even a few years ago, but now I think it's really, really essential. Absolutely. I mean, like you're saying in this time, especially the voiceover auditions that I've been getting at least, you know, where normally it'll be like, yeah, record the audition at home, but the actual recording process will be in a studio. Now it's all home studio, home studio. This is the time of the home studio. And you and I were saying before we started recording today, I think one of the results we're going to see from this time is companies starting to realize like, oh, maybe we can always just do this home studio thing because this is actually working out really well. And it's probably going to be a direction that the industry continues to go in on the other side of this. Yeah, I agree. And it can feel a little bit daunting if this isn't something that you've done yet. But I think it's also there's no time like the present to learn because we're all sort of scrambling to learn new things in this moment. Right. So you might as well. Yeah. Do any resources immediately come to mind for ways that people could start learning about voiceover work? I think there's, again, as we sort of move into this new thing where a lot of things are available online, I think there are a lot of things that used to only be in-person classes or in-person workshops that have now moved online. So if that's something that you're interested in, in learning more about, then take to the internet and start Googling and find the places that are offering these online workshops about how to set up a home studio or, you know, there's a bunch of experts out there, YouTube channels and podcasts and things about, you know, voiceover that these people are tech people and they have a lot of knowledge of how to set up a home studio and make it soundproof and equipment that you need. But I think it's, you know, now's the time to start learning those new, new things and new skills. Absolutely. I think one thing that is a really good place to start, even even if you have never taken a voiceover class, you've never even really thought about doing voiceover work necessarily, but it interests you. One thing that was really helpful and encouraging to me was starting this podcast. I mean, A, of course, obviously getting more comfortable with the equipment and all of that. But even beyond that, hearing the sound of my voice more often And so you don't need a fancy microphone or fancy equipment to do this. You can literally just record voice memos on your phone of either, you know, just yourself talking or find some copy and, you know, record that and just be like, what does that sound like? Like, what sounds weird about this? Mm -hmm. What what sounds good? How could I make this sound better? To me, like that's, that really is one of the main ways to learn is just kind of through doing and you know, I do everything for the podcast myself, including editing. So I spend a lot of hours hearing my own voice in my ears just through this podcast alone. And so I had to get to a place where I was really comfortable with that and really used to that and really knowledgeable about my own voice. Yeah. And YouTube is your best friend. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of tutorials on YouTube for anything, but even, you know, specifically for voiceover, if you downloaded editing software and you're like, I don't know how to use this, yeah. take to the YouTubes and it will help you. So true. I mean, literally with any question, it's crazy how much is out there on YouTube right now. I think something else I'd love to know is ways in which you feel like your 
musical theater training has really launched you into this voiceover career so successfully. How do you feel like those skills that you've learned since you were, what did you say, eight, have applied in this new career of voiceover work? I love that question. I actually did a a free, very informal Zoom chat last night for anyone who wanted to just learn more about voiceover, ask any questions. And somebody asked a very similar question, like what her singing training could bring to voiceover. Yeah. And I had never really thought about it. And then I just talked for like three minutes straight about how these skills really overlap. Um, So my very first voiceover class, I was there with, I think it was 10 of us. And I would say maybe 40% were people who had some sort of acting training, musical theater, straight acting, whatever. And then the other people in the class were just people who somebody somewhere along the line said, you have a cool voice, you have a unique voice, or someone who was like, oh, gosh, I'm an accountant, but I really have always been interested in voiceover. I really want to get into it. So I'm taking this class for fun. And it was so interesting to see. Yeah. Just the the people who had some sort of acting training were immediately leveled up, you know, and these people, it was a total beginner class. So I'm sure that with training, we all would equal out in the end. But but if you have that acting background, you immediately know when you look at a script, you know, for a car company versus a makeup company versus, uh, you know, home health care. Yeah. You sort of already know like, oh, car. Yeah, I've I've heard that. I know what that sounds like. Yeah. So I think it was super helpful to have those skills and the ability to cold read because a lot of times you're getting copy and you don't have any chance to look it over. You right. have to just read it and make a decision and go. You know, I think musical theater and theater people in general's ability to make choices, strong choices, quick choices when reading copy to sort of stand out from the crowd and not make the generic choice that everybody makes when they're reading it. Yeah, I think that's so true. I mean, it's it's a lot like going to a callback and just kind of taking whatever sides you're given and making something of it in the moment. But I think one of the cool things about voiceover, too, is you know, in, in musical theater, especially, I would argue, there's such importance put on type and what you look like, and mm-hmm. it can feel mm-hmm. so limiting. And in voiceover, that's gone. Race doesn't matter anymore. Totally you, you know, height doesn't matter. The way that you look, none of it matters. It's literally all about the sound. And as long as I can make my voice sound like an 80-year-old woman, then I can play an 80-year-old woman. Like, it's amazing. Yes, and I will loop that back to my just my sense of feeling freedom exactly. with doing because you know in musical theater you guys can't see me but I'm very petite I'm I'm five one I look like I'm twelve and I'm definitely <laughs> not and I had a really hard time and you know sort of playing the roles that I wanted to play right and again with the economy it was really tough because you know in two thousand five you know two thousand three four five. People who were playing high school students were in their 30s. Yeah. And I saw that and was like, okay, you know, that's going to be me. Mm-hmm. And then after 2008, people playing high school students were high school students. Yep. Nobody wanted to pay the equity rates and the, you know, for the people who had the experience. I went to an audition where I literally took things off my resume. I put my high school credits back on my resume, even though I had been out of high school for about 10 years. Wow. Just to seem younger and fresher and try to get that role. And when I think back to that, like how absurd I worked so hard 
and then literally like degraded back to, yeah. you know, the time that I had no credits because I thought that that was going to help me get the job. And I love that in voiceover, it's just, it doesn't matter. Right. It's all, it's again, like just, it's so freeing and different, a different, totally different mindset to be in. Yeah. They don't ask for a resume. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. No, no one has ever asked me for a resume ever in my voiceover career. They don't care what you've done. If you nail the audition, you'll book the job. It doesn't matter if that's your first audition or your 700th. Yeah. It's so true. And it, it, you're absolutely right. It is one of the really empowering, freeing things about voiceover work is, yeah, so many of those boundaries and obstacles and constraints are gone. Yeah. And I think too, it's like when you're in musical theater, when you're really like in the the throes of it, especially as a non-union performer, you do feel very helpless and out of control. Yeah. And you're like, what do I do next? Like, I have no idea. But for me, once I got out of that and was sort of running my own small business, then it became, okay, there's no auditions today. What else can I do? And I felt like there was always something proactive that I could be doing. Like I could send a cold email to a company. I could reach out to an agent or whatever. And it just felt a little more like even on the days when I felt like I wasn't very productive, I would look back and say, wow, that was so much more productive than I would have been on a day that I didn't have any musical theater auditions. Yeah. It sounds like the empowerment that you felt about this career shift overall then empowered you even further when you found yourself in a position where you could have said you were at the mercy of circumstance where you could have been like, ah, well, there's just no auditions today. There's nothing for me to do. But because you were already feeling the empowerment of this industry for what it is, this voiceover industry, then you were further propelled to seek out your own opportunities, even when there didn't appear to be any. Yeah. And I still do to this day. Like I I love reaching out and sending cold emails and I have found success with it. And my the biggest job that I've booked to date was from a cold email. Wow. That's insane. We got to talk about that. Yes. I would love to. So tell me, because I know so many people feel icky about reaching out. And we just had Carly Valancey on base and on TDQ and she talks all about reaching out, but I just know that it's, you know, it's such a barrier and such an obstacle for people. So how did you get to a place where you felt comfortable with that and who are you reaching out to? So we'll, we'll talk about it in terms of the world before. Yes, of course. <laughs> the world before, I'll preface by saying I don't know how comfortable I feel reaching out right in this moment. Sure. Which is something that I've struggled with. Obviously, it needs to come from a place of generosity and how can I help. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But I haven't done much yet during this time because I'm not sure how it's going to be received. Sure. But in the world from before. Yes, in that world. <laughs> in another world. So I would reach out to production companies, casting directors, and agents. Now, if you have a home studio set up that is professional and high quality enough to record a finished product job, mm-hmm. then you can reach out to production companies all over the country because it doesn't matter where you are. Right. And a lot of those companies don't care where you are either. Right. So you can reach out to, you know, somebody in Idaho and say, hey, I love your website. You know, that video that you posted with the cats was so funny. I love cats. (laughs) Anyways, here's my reel. You know, XOXO Stephanie. (laughs) Right. I love that. Not quite that casual, but you know what I mean. Yes. 
So yeah, so I would reach out to, I would just start Googling and and looking for production companies or places that produced videos that also had listed on their website that they provided casting services to their clients and just wrote to say, hi, I'd love to be added to your roster. Here's my demo, you know, check out my website. Here's my YouTube channel and kind of went from there. And what's crazy is the amount of times it's happened multiple times where those reach outs have just, you know, gone into the into the ether, never to be seen or heard from again, or so we think. And then three years later, literally, somebody reaches out, you know, writes back, hey, you've been in our files this whole time. We've got a job for you. Wow. Or you know, we've got an audition. It's crazy. It just happened right before all of this started with coronavirus. I had sent an email and I'd been in this person's database for years and they wrote back and said, hey, we've got a client that wants to hire you. Can you come into the studio tomorrow? Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> so, it, you know, and again, it just feels validating and productive. Like, all right, all that, you know, those three hours I spent on all those emails and all that Google research paid off. Exactly. And I mean, that's the whole point of reaching out. If you wait for things to come to you, if you're never planting those seeds, nothing's ever going to grow. Yeah, I am not a I'm not good at sitting around. I'm not good at just waiting, which is why I think I've sort of seized this small business mentality that a lot of voiceover artists with home studios have. Yeah. Which is that we can sit around and wait for auditions or we could do the auditions that we have and then keep reaching out to people and keep, you know, building our client base and our database of of contacts. Yeah, absolutely. And for anyone who feels like maybe they don't have that small business mentality or mindset, how do other voiceover artists go about booking work and getting auditions? I think there's sort of two major camps of people. Mm-hmm. And it's the people who just, you know, do some initial push to agents and casting directors and just wait that out and see what comes back to them. And they don't do much. They're not really good at the cold emails. They don't like it. They, whatever, you know, for whatever reason, they just don't do that. And then there are people who want to do everything and just sort of try their hand at as many different, you know, avenues as possible. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's very similar, I think, to to musical theater auditions. You can either, you know, if you manage to secure an agent, you can just wait until your agent sends you auditions, but then you'll be limited to just those auditions. Or you can, whether or not you have an agent, you can be someone who's reaching out, actively seeking opportunities to submit or spruik yourself for an audition appointment. And it sounds like it's really similar in the voiceover world. Yeah. And, you know, neither is right or wrong. There are people who want to focus all of their attention on agents and agent auditions because that's where the money is. Like those are the bigger jobs, the more, you know, more chance to have a union job. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one one is not better than the other. It's just sort of a matter of preference and a matter of what you feel comfortable with. I mean, there are people who cold call places, which I personally do not want to do. (laughs) Yes. You know, they'll call that production company and, you know, in another city or state and say, hi, who's the person who does your casting? I'd love to be on your roster. That makes me feel like I'm getting nervous even thinking about doing that. (laughs) So that's not for me. But if it's for you, there are people who, you know, give webinars on how to how to do that and how to make that worth your while. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right that it is sort of a personal preference and and what it is that you feel comfortable doing. And I think also whether or not it's your 
whether it's supplemental income for you or if it's your primary source of income. So if it's going to be, you know, kind of like for me, voiceover work is a parallel career for me, but for you, it is your primary focus, your primary source of income. And so it makes sense for you to channel as much energy into that as possible. Yeah, totally. And I know people too, who are a union who also have a slightly different perspective on that because it is not impossible, but certainly a little adds an extra layer if you're union to have to re- to reach out to these companies sure. and then have to say, well, I'm union. And if that company does mostly non-union work, that can be a whole thing. But again, it's just like where you are in your in your career and where you're where you feel most comfortable spending your time. Right. And we discussed earlier that, you know, resumes in the voiceover world don't really exist, but what does exist is something that you've already mentioned, which is your demo. And I feel like the demo is sort of the voiceover world equivalent of a resume in the sense that it kind of shows what you're capable of. It's sort of like your resume and your audition book all wrapped into one. Yes. And also like your headshot, your calling card, like it's sort of... Yeah, it's like every everything all together in one neat little package. Yeah, and I think that's a really important and interesting way to look at it because something that I hear a lot is people will say like, oh gosh, creating a demo, it can just be so expensive and I don't know, I'm too overwhelmed by that concept. So I'd love to hear a little bit of your perspective around you know, why a demo is so important and how you might go about getting one. Yeah, I think the demo is so, so, so important. But before the demo... I think classes and training are essential. Yes. Because I think, again, like if you went to see a production at the New York City Ballet and you were like, oh my God, this is amazing. I now want to be a ballerina. You would not then look up their next audition and just show up. Right. You would probably, hopefully, take (laughs) one or two ballet classes and then go. (laughs) Right. So, you know, and again, with even though our skills as musical theater people and theater artists transfer over, there's still those little techniques and lingo and jargon and all that kind of stuff that you really should know before you jump in full force and spend the money on a demo. Because once you have that demo, you know, again, it's like voiceover is really interesting because it's all recorded. Mm-hmm. So we could, I could do 700 takes of a commercial, you know, of a commercial audition, you would never know. I would send you the best one and you think, man, this girl's awesome. Right. But then when I get there, you're like, this has been a seven hour session because this girl can't get it right. Right. So I do think it's important to have that class and that basis of training. And then the demo really does need to be your best foot forward because in some cases, not only is that the only time you get to make a first impression, but sometimes I've heard casting directors say that they will listen to the first five to 10 seconds. And if you don't grab them, that's it. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. So I do think that the it is expensive, but it is a business expense that you have to spend just like in musical theater. Again, like if you wanted to go audition for, you know, a big production, you wouldn't ask me to take your headshot on my iPhone and then go print it out at CVS. You would spend the money on great headshots that really showcase you and what you, you know, your range and your looks and everything to really put your best foot forward. And I think the demo is the same. Yeah. And I mean, if you add up the cost of the headshot, the hair and makeup for the headshot, if you decided to do that, printing the headshot, printing your resumes, getting your audition book together, both the materials, including the paying for the sheet music and the time and money spent getting the material together in the first place. I mean, a demo is not nearly that expensive in comparison. That's true. 
That's a great, great way to think about it. It's a great perspective. And I like to tell people that your demo should last you if it's great. It should last a few years. Right. So, I mean, I think even unlike headshots where if you change your look, you got to get new ones. I think a demo can be something that you update one or two spots here and there, but yeah. the main demo still exists. And I think it's something that, you know, over the course of time, you can realize, wow, like the climate of voiceover has changed. So a lot of my spots sound like an announcer and now we're moving into more, you know, conversational tone. So I better update that. But for the most part, you know, you've, you're spending a thousand bucks, but you're spending it today and hopefully you won't spend it again for another five, six years, maybe even longer. Yeah. And hopefully in that time, you've made a thousand bucks. Right. Lots more than that. I'm sure, way more than that. But I mean, it's true. It's like, again, what we were saying earlier, not being limited by the way you look, you know, you're, unfortunately, we can appear to age faster than maybe our voice does. And so, you know, I went to a voiceover audition not that long ago that was, they wanted it to be, to sound like a teenage girl. And I got there and it was me and, you know, some... Some girls who I think were actually teenage girls who, you know, were there with their moms. Um, I was like, cool, cool, cool. Um, But there were also, you know, women who looked older than me. I I don't know how old they were, but there were people who looked like they could maybe be in their 40s, but whose voices sound 17. And so, you know, they, they were there just like I was. So, again, like you're saying, it can last you a really long time and it is definitely a worthy investment Yeah. And I do think it's important to not make your own. Sure. Because again, you know, if you're somebody who, if you are, you know, a YouTube person, you've learned all this stuff on your editing software, you buy a microphone and you're like, I'm just going to do this myself. I'm just going to go in my booth and record some stuff and come out and edit it all together. You know, again, it's like, if you're going to send that to the top people in this industry, it better sound amazing because you only have those literally five seconds to make an impression. And why wouldn't you want to make the best impression possible? Totally. And I mean, I'll be fully transparent. I did make my own, but that came after years of me doing at-home voiceover work and getting really intimately familiar with my microphone, with my editing software, with my voice, with you know, what I do and how I do. And these were some of the things that I had recorded, you know, for clients that I felt really proud of and was able to edit them together and make, you know, something great out of it. But again, I can feel proud of that because that was professional work that I actually did. Totally. And, you know, it's different if you're, you know, making up spots and you're, you've never done this before and you're trying to figure it all out on the spot. You know, I think, There are some ways in which, yeah, like I wish that I had gotten more formal training and, you know, instead of investing in the training to learn how to do all of this, I instead invested years of time, effort, energy, tears when things didn't work and I couldn't figure out why and YouTube videos and all of those things. I mean, in the end, it would have been cheaper for me to just spend $1,600 on a a demo or, you know, whatever you're going to spend. So, I mean, you know, anything's possible, but what would you rather spend? time, effort, energy, years of your life or some money right now. Yeah. And I think there are people out there who are experts at this and who will make your life so much easier than if you attempt to do this yourself. Or I've had people ask me like, can you help me make a demo? And I tell them no, because it's really not my wheelhouse. It's not my strong suit. There are people who have the ear for it, who, you know, who can help you write original copy, who Mm -hmm. can help you tweak that copy, make it really pop. 
add the sound effects because a good demo should sound like finished spots, whether it right. or isn't. And, you know, I just remade my demo and that demo is mostly new spots that are made up, mm-hmm. but it's to fill in the gaps of work that I haven't been able to do yet. Right. Exactly. You know, like on a resume to be able to showcase, hey, I can also do this sound, even though I don't have a great you know, recording of that somewhere. Here's an example of that. So I do think it's it's worth it to have somebody who has an expert ear to help you and listen and say, actually, that genre, I don't know. Let's let's nix that one. Totally. And and yeah, let me also say that when I was putting together this demo, Stephanie was incredibly generous and helpful with me and listened back to it and was like, you know what? I actually think that this this piece is stronger, so I put that towards the front and maybe get rid of that one or add in this. And I mean, having that feedback from someone other than myself, because like I said, I've spent a lot of time with my own voice and I'm so intimately aware of it that having someone with an outside ear hear it and give me such great feedback was invaluable and a huge part of the reason I was able to do it. Yeah, I think the the extra ear is, is incredibly important because I think as we move into needing more home studios, you do have to be an editor and you do have to be your own, you know, you kind of your own critic sometimes and yeah. go in the booth and record three takes and come out and listen back and be like, wow, that was not <laughs> on the mark at all. Or wow, that's that one sounds great. Or I'm going to take half of this one and half of this one and smush yes. it together. But, you know, when you're making the demo, I think it's just worth it to have somebody else do all of that and not stress because that is going to be something you're going to send to a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. Like we said, it's covering all of your bases as far as marketing materials goes. Yeah. And I will say that in voiceover, it's necessary to have a demo for each of your genres. So if you are somebody who does want to do some animation work, that's a whole nother demo separate from your commercial demo. Same thing with like a narration Mm-hmm. You know, like corporate work, any of that kind of stuff is fortunately or unfortunately its own demo. So I would do the commercial and then go from there. If if you find that you're getting a lot of corporate sounding auditions or people are saying, hey, your voice would be really great for corporate work, then, you know, reinvest some money from your business that you've brought in to do your next demo. Um, I don't think you need to do them all at once. Right. No, I think that's really great advice. See, start with that commercial demo, see what kind of work that you're getting a lot of, and then figure out from there where would be a good place to invest some of that money. Yeah. And the other thing that I love about voiceover kind of bouncing off of that is just how many genres and niches and parts of genres there are in this industry. Yes. It's just mind boggling the amount of things that we don't even think about, but like how many apps on your phone talk to you in some way. Yeah, totally. You know, and and even how many there are now talking trash cans, you know, there Yeah. <laughs> there's medical videos, there's videos to explain to somebody if you're a diabetic how to use your new equipment. There's videos yes. to train people in corporate settings. There's I mean, the list goes on and on and on. I think when yeah. when you say voiceover, people think, "Oh, you do cartoons." True. True. Or, yeah. Oh, oh, you do like a car like you do commercials. Mm-hmm. And yes, those are commercials especially is the sort of the bread and butter, but it's certainly not the only part of this industry at all, which is something also that I love about it. And I think now that we're the industry has moved into this sort of, especially for commercials, this conversational sound, mm-hmm. you know, I think in back in the day, people would be like, oh, I don't know. I don't really have a voice for it. But you do. Yeah. Anyone can do this, truly. Like 
Yeah, I think I've had people come up to me and say, well, I have a little bit, you know, of an accent. Do you think I can still do voiceover? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You know, or anything that you think is a hindrance is probably not anymore. I've seen a lot of specs, which are the, um, the breakdowns of like what they want in the voice. And I've seen so many of them that say a unique voice. Yes. Oh, yes. Or something different, not a typical announcer. So gone are the days of like, buy a leave. It's a, you know. <laughs> right. Exactly. That wasn't a good example, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I loved it. It was great. <laughs> like think of your commercial, like commercials you grew up with in the 80s. It's not that anymore. It's just this. It's like, hey, Lily, I love your glasses. Where did you get them? Oh, right. I got them at Warby Parker. Blah, blah. Yeah. No, it's completely, it's completely true. It's, it's, I feel like that's happening in a lot of our industry right now, which is very exciting is it's getting a lot mm-hmm. more human. Yes. So yeah, that's a great point. If you've ever thought like, oh, I don't really have the voice for that. That may not be true anymore. Yeah. I have a question for you that's going to put you on the spot a little bit. Oh, okay. Is teaching voiceover something that would ever become a parallel career for you? I feel like you're so generous with your knowledge of this industry and how it works and all of this. And I'm just, you're so great at talking about it. Thank you. That's a great question. I've you're not the first person who's asked. And I actually used to have a parallel career to my voiceover career <laughs> um, of teaching theater to kids, um, oh, cool. elementary, middle school, and high school kids, which I loved. Um, I stopped when I got pregnant and have done a few things since my daughter was born, but um it's something I love to do. I do love teaching. I don't know. I guess I haven't given myself enough credit in voiceover because I feel like I'm still taking classes and I'm still learning. So I don't really have business teaching other people. Or I feel like I would just be parroting back what somebody else said. But I don't know. I think if I did it, I would want to teach like a very beginner class, like people who are brand new to the industry, brand new to voiceover. I feel like I would feel more fulfilled doing that than teaching people who are already established in the industry, if that makes any sense. That does make sense. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a voiceover class for musical theater actors would be right up your alley. I'm sure you would have a ton of students that are listening to this podcast right now. And uh, so listeners, write in, tag us on Instagram at The Dreaded Question if you want to see this class from Stephanie Roberts. But I really do think that it could be an incredible opportunity for you. And you're just so generous with this valuable knowledge. And as far as the fact that you're still in class and that you would be parroting what other teachers say. I mean, how many acting teachers parrot Stanislavski? That's true. You know, that's, to me, I want a teacher who's still learning. I don't want a teacher who's like, I know everything, I am perfect. And, you know, to me, you're so qualified because you have a home studio. You were literally making your career as a voiceover artist. And you've been on this exact journey that if you were to do a musical theater or a voiceover class for musical theater actors... I mean, who better to teach it? That is a really good point that I never thought of with that that spin on it, like a specific. Because I think part of it, too, is like the openness of like, would you ever teach voiceover? Yeah. I don't know. There's so many levels of that. But I think honing in on something super specific like that doesn't make it sound so daunting. Well, great. Thanks, Lily. (laughs) I can't wait to be able to share this class and be like, hey, it's happening. Everyone take it. Thanks for that perspective. Yeah, I do. I love teaching and I miss it. I miss I miss my little kiddos. So I think something I'm sure something in the future will will come about. Absolutely. Stephanie, thank you so much for taking some time to have this conversation. I think 
you are such a, I've said this word so many times, but you're so generous with your information and your knowledge and your story. And it just means the world to me. And I can't think of a more perfect person to be on this podcast right now. A, because in some ways you've been through something like this before, while you've never been maybe through a global pandemic, you, (laughs) you did experience the fallout of 2008 in New York city. And, you know, I think a lot of people are looking for someone to look towards and an example to look at of someone who's been through something like this, but also because you have a, what was a parallel career and now is your primary career of something that is sustainable that you can do from home that you're able to continue doing. And I'm just so glad that you took the time to have this conversation. Thank you. I'm so excited to have been able to do it. I know we had talked about being a guest for a while and I'm just so thrilled that it, I feel like it's ironic that this is the kind of catalyst for this conversation. But yeah, yeah, you know, Lily had reached out to say, just, you know, asking about other ideas for more episodes. And I was like, well, I work from home. I've been working from home for almost 10 years. Most of the work I do is by myself with for myself. So yeah, I'm, I'm so thrilled to be able to share knowledge and I'm happy to give a little bright spot in all of this craziness. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So listening back to this episode, I realized I used the word empowered like a thousand times, which may be a bit annoying, but I also think it's super telling of why voiceover work is so intriguing to me. As actors, we so infrequently feel empowered and we rarely feel like we have the agency to run our careers on our own the way that we want to. And right now, we're in a time where we feel a lack of control and power. So it's exciting to hear about a career path that's so full of ownership, opportunity, and self-sufficiency. I hope that listening to Stephanie's journey in a time that was in some ways similar to what we're experiencing right now was inspiring and, dare I say, empowering? Thank you, as always, for listening. I hope wherever you are that you're safe and well. I'm Lily Torre, and this has been The Dreaded Question.